21 to 39. This is Mark's account of Jesus' crucifixion. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes, and they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice on the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So you are the one you are so you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to him, to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes, down, comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. It's a blessing to be here to uh, meet new people. It's, it's going to be a whole lot like heaven. Being able to see people on the other side from all different times and periods for all the way back to Adam and Eve. Can you imagine what it's going to be like to see what they were like and, and, and uh, what... Abraham and Moses and all of these people, when we all get together on the other side, what a blessing that's going to be. be. And it's a blessing for Don and I to be here. Now, it's not easy to, to bless people. Have you noticed that? Those of us who've been working in the ministry know just how hard it is to bless folks. It's kind of like all those horrible stories that you read about where somebody won the lottery before it's over. Everybody hates them. Their wives left them and they've committed suicide. Maybe even life is just, you know, it's hard to bless people. You can't. So what can you do to help folks? I, there have been times when I, I know as a younger preacher, when I was easily sucked in uh, before I would, uh, for instance, when I was in Dauphin, I would phone up a friend uh, at Salvation Army by the name of Eli, the captain there, and just make sure if we know anything about this character who, who's asking for money, because sometimes when you give those people money, you're not blessing them. They're doing anything but being blessed. They'll go out and do something awful. And so my friend would tell me who probably you could trust and who probably you could trust, that sort of thing. It's hard to bless people. 
And those of us who try to give gifts, I, I am the worst guy at giving gifts. I get the wrong date, you know, for, on, on the anniversary. I, I did that one time. I, I've, uh, I've given gifts that would be the kind of thing I want. And I remember at Christmas time, my, my son's both looking at this and thinking, tools? You know, I must have been, they must have thought I was a tool. But anyway, uh, that's, that, that's not the kind of thing that they would have wanted, but the kind of thing that I would have wanted. And it's just hard to bless people. It's hard to give gifts. Most of us probably uh, around Christmas time like to watch all those Charlie Brown uh, series. I mean, I know I do. Why didn't that just go on? There you go. Uh, most of you probably have, have seen this every year. I like watching it. And I'll watch it, no telling. I don't, I'll, I'll watch it if it comes on two or three times a year. I'll, I'll watch it over and over. But in this particular episode, if you remember, Lucy and Charlie Brown are walking along, and she says to him, I never get for Christmas the things that, I, that I'd like to have. And she names things like clothing and a bicycle and toys and things like this. Charlie Brown's perplexed, and he, say, he says to her, what do you want? What do you want? You guys know the answer. Real estate. Real estate. Well, that's the kind of, that's the kind of thing it is with, with us today. We, we would never have imagined a child would want real estate. And, and so when some of the old guys down at BP, uh, down in, in Adairville, Kentucky, when they hang out, they, they talk about what they're going to give this niece or nephew for their birthday or, or, or whatever it might be, you know what it usually is? It's usually, it's usually money. They think the best way to do it is just give them some money. Go down to the bank, find one of those little cards and that, that maybe says happy birthday on it and put, 40 bucks in it and hand it to them. They get what they want to or maybe something so they can go to their favorite restaurant, that sort of thing. I was reading about this on the net about how to give good gifts and, and, and it t- tells you that you can do that. But to go beyond that, if you really want to, you find out something about that person if you want to be a blessing to them. And so find out what they need, what they like, what they desire. And if you want to give the best gift, period, that you could ever give, you find out something of yourself, so this article said. You find out something of yourself and something of them so that every time that they look at that gift, whatever that gift might happen to be, they, they are reminded not only of who they are and the way that they feel, that gift fits them, but also kind of says something about the one who gave it as well. Well, as Dr. Field might say to you, how's that going for you so far? I mean, it, it, it's, it's not that easy to do. I mean, we talk about things, we, we get it all built up, and we find out that it's almost impossible to give that perfect gift. Those of you who have tried and put your whole heart into it know how it can go kaboom in your face. But God has given. He's the only one who can give the perfect gift. Men mess up, but God is not. God's giving is just perfect in every way that you can imagine. Every good and perfect gift, James says in, in James 1 verse 17, verse 7, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. I want you to notice how this is put together almost like a Philadelphia lawyer. It's just as, as tight as it can be. Every good and perfect gift. James, the little brother of Jesus, says it doesn't matter what gift you're talking about. It's every gift. If you're talking about a good and perfect gift, these do not come from human beings. Human beings are not able to do that kind of thing the way God is. But every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father, from God Himself. 
And so God blesses us. God is able to bless us in a way like no one else could ever possibly bless us, could bless us. And He blesses us, according to James, as we look at this one little verse. He blesses us in a threefold sort of way. He blesses us completely, and then He blesses us continually, and then He blesses us consistently with who we are. Those are the three points that we would like to look at. First of all, God blesses us absolutely completely. Our text says every good thing given and every perfect. The word in the Greek is the idea of complete in all of its component parts. Nothing is missing. Every good thing given and every perfect, complete gift is from God, coming down from God. It's, it's perfect in every way. It's not like that, that gift that, that I got one time. I, I wanted it so bad, I remember it even to this day. I remember exactly the way it looked like it was this airplane. And it, had the, and it had propellers that would go around and around. It had these little lights up and down the wings. I mean, and it, this is pretty fancy, as old as I am, if you think back how young I was as a kid. Not only that, you pushed a little button, and the thing would kind of taxi around the room just a little bit. You'd pick it up, pretend that you're flying with it. So when I got the gift, my parents got it for me. But guess what? No batteries. What do you do with things supposed to turn and flash and run if you got, if you got no batteries? God never messes up. The gift is complete. It's not like the chair that I thought was going to be the perfect gift for one of my sons because he needed it. And then, then a part of it was missing when you got there. When you finally opened it up out of the box. Everything is right with God. Just like the passage that was quoted to us earlier, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God gave the perfect gift, the very best thing He could possibly have. In the Old Testament, we were told that we would never be allowed to, to give a sacrifice of an animal with anything that was the matter with it, a broken bone. But there was nothing the matter with this gift. As John tells us, not one of his bones will be broken. The perfect gift in every way. The Apostle Paul, on his way to Damascus, was told what to do to be saved. He'd already seen the light, but he hadn't been saved. And that same passage is written in Acts 22, verse 16, so that you and I will know what to do to be saved. And so we're told to get up or rise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Do you remember what that felt like when you arose and you were baptized? You came forth out of that watery grave of baptism. There is nothing on this planet that's pure. I thought about referring to the, the beautiful snow out on the prairie, but it's, it gets dirt in it, doesn't it? And it shows up so much in that white. You know what's, you know what's pure? You, when you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, there's nothing on this planet as pure and as clean as you are. It is the perfect gift. And those of us, us who have experienced this, who knew that our lives were anything but what they ought to have been like, when we gave our, our, our lives to the Lord in simple faith, we believed that He died and was buried and was resurrected for me, and we obeyed that same gospel. We wanted to die and be buried and resurrected for Him. Those of us who've experienced this, we know what it feels like at that moment to really be given the perfect gift. To be just perfectly, completely forgiven for everything we have ever done. 
But if you've experienced things the way I have too, you know as time goes by, you start thinking about, you know, I've made mistakes now. And, that, and sure, I believe that, the, that, I, that my sin was washed away by the blood of the Lamb. But now that I've been a Christian X number of years, I look back on things. I look on at things that I've said, and I, and I know that my thoughts, and I can't even so much as, as sit and wait on the Lord's table, but what, as I'm waiting on the communion to be passed to me, but what my mind flits around here, and, and it's on things that really don't matter. And, and how in the world... Is God going to continue to forgive us? But that gift is not just a gift that, you know, has the batteries, but it makes the Energizer battery, uh, Bunny's batteries look just awful. I mean, we've got, we've got uh, batteries that do so much more than they used to, but Jesus is one who just keeps on keeping on. He just keeps on forgiving us. Every good thing and every perfect gift, James, the little brother of Jesus says, is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. It's coming down. It's a constant thing. And that participle, when you look it up, you find out it means it's an ongoing thing. Your, your, your sins were not just washed away at one point. They keep on being washed away. Keep on being washed away. I got a gift one time of this bicycle that I wanted. You guys who are of a, my, my vintage remember those, those old bicycles that, that had the, the fake gas tank on them and, and they had the two little lights at the front that ran on the battery. Well, they got the batteries right this time, but I turned the batteries on that day and I thought, oh, it looks so good. They were run down in, in about 20 or 30 minutes. Batteries weren't what they, what they are today. They, were, they ran down pretty quick. I thought, I better turn this off real quick. By, by the time night came when I turned it on, you couldn't have seen two inches in front of the thing. The batteries were just gone. That's the way it is with the gifts that we give. I mean, I had just pretty well nagged my parents for this bicycle for a year. And then and because it had that particular feature, and that feature becomes something that becomes so aggravating, it's hard to believe. You can't give. It's really hard to bless people. But God gave you that which keeps on giving and keeps on giving. The blood of Jesus Christ doesn't just wash away for a while. It keeps on doing that. Jesus taught you, in fact, when you pray to God, don't just pray one time, but keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. That's what the original language is saying. And notice how when he says it three times, he, he, he intensifies each time the way the prophets and the poets in the Old Testament did. It gets bigger every time it's said. He says, ask for it like a kid would ask. Then you start seeking. You start following your dad and mom everywhere. You you want that gift. Before it's over, you're knocking on the door. You know, you're, they're trying to get away from you, but you're just not going to give up. That's exactly what you want. You thought it through. And that's what God wants you. That's what Jesus is teaching you to do with him. He's telling you to be like that little child, that if it's something you really want, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Don't give up. Because God is the God who gets the gifts right. God is the God who's not going to give you what you don't need. He's going to give you what you really do need. And he's, and if you, if you'll ask in that way, God just loves being a blessing to us. Acts 2.38 probably is the verse that we'll probably go down in history noted for, but I, I can't help but notice within, uh, those brethren who preach on the radio and teach, uh, uh, on television and, and articles that I've read more recently, there's another passage that seems to come up over and over and over with our, with our people. And I'm thrilled to death that it's true. It's First John, the first chapter, verse 7. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, the text means continues, keeps on washing away our sins. 
When you decided that you were going to get up this morning and go to church, you did something that was remarkably powerful. If you walk in the light, there's more to walking in the light than going to church, but it's at least a part of it. If you walk in the light as God is in the light, you have fellowship with one another. How can you have fellowship if you are alone? You have to be with God's people. And that's what you chose to do. You chose to be here with God's people. And as we are walking in the light and we're having fellowship with one another, the blood of Jesus Christ, God looks out, out at you and says, I washed your sins away once, but I'm not stopping. I'm going to keep washing away your sins. If God could see you right now without the blood of Jesus Christ, you would fulfill the teaching of all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. Just like the Roman writer said in Romans 3.23 and 6.23. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you are the purest thing on this planet. Because the blood of Jesus Christ washes away your sins continually. Because as we, if you look at the text closely now, it's saying, as you walk in the light, you have sin. You can't say, you can't say to God, don't, don't wash away my sin now because I, I've, I've got it on my own. I, I, I don't have any sin anymore. I'm so, I'm so good. That's not the way it works. That's not what First John's saying. He's saying, as you walk in the light, you are a sinner and you continue to be that. And the blood of Jesus Christ continues to wash away your sin because you continue to be a sinner. And those of us who have a little bit of age under our belt have figured out just what a mess up we are. In an almost Solomon-like way, towards the ends of our lives at least, surely we get smart enough to figure out, boy, I didn't know nearly as much as I thought I did. <laughs> sort of thing. And boy, I was not nearly as good as I thought I was. But we are, through the blood of the Lamb. Legalism will damn souls faster than anything. But trusting in the grace of Jesus Christ, that His blood washes away our sins, we have got it made as long as we continue to do that. That is God's perfect gift to you. And we gather around, as we did a moment ago, around the Lord's table, and as we gather around the table, it's a reminder to each one of us, not just a reminder of what Jesus went through and suffered, but to remember that he went through that and suffered for you, that he's, he's saying to you, I don't see why anybody would say, we'll just do this once a year, or like one denomination doesn't do it at all. I, I don't know why they would do that, because I need to be reminded, if the preacher doesn't get it said, if the song service somehow goes over my head, or I don't pay attention, or whatever the case might be, surely as we, as we partake of these two emblems, we will be reminded that he shed his blood, and he gave his body, and that his blood is still... Washing away your sins constantly, uh, constantly over and over again. So God's perfect gift is that you are continually, that you are continually forgiven. Not just completely forgiven when you first gave your life to him, but now that you have long since been a Christian, God continues to wash away your sins. But there is one more thing that James, the little brother Jesus, tells us. He says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no inconsistency. There's no variation or shifting shadows. God is consistent because God is always who he is. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, forever, the Hebrew writer says. And so it is that God knows you. 
God knows you better than you know you. And the things that you think you need are not really the things that you need at all. And God not only knows you, He knows Himself, and He can put these two things together like we were talking about earlier and give you the perfect gift because He perfectly knows you and He perfectly knows Himself. And He can give just that which is just so incredibly perfect in the form of Jesus Christ. And so that's exactly what God does. What man, Jesus said in the famous Sermon on the Mount, what man is there among you when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? God doesn't give gifts like fathers. See, fathers give better gifts than that, Jesus says. But, but, but God knows you. He knows you backwards and forwards. He knows just what you need. And sometimes the prayers you, you have prayed have not been for the things that you really need. And God knows that. It's kind of like the little hamster, you know, who was probably praying if, if there's a hamster God. He was praying to that, to the hamster God, get me out of this cage, get me out of this cage. There's only one being that was praying more. There's a cat around the corner and says, and he's praying to the cat God, says, get him out of that cage, get him out of that cage. And that's the kind of prayers we pray. I look back on some of the praise, on some of the prayers that I prayed for. I poured my heart into those prayers and I say, Thank God, you know, it sounds like that old country western song. Thank God you didn't answer that prayer. God only knows what you really need. And sometimes we don't even know what we really need. And the things that we do sometimes are to fulfill this need that we have because what we want to be is like Adam and Eve. We want to be like God. We want to be like God. And so the snake comes along and says, Eat this, smoke that, you know, get involved in that sexual activity. And all of a sudden you realize how important, how great you are like God. You can do it yourself. You don't have to wait on God doing that. He's taking too much time. But God just wants to give us that perfect gift of being just like him. Made in his very image, with his very glory, his very glory. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life, to be made eternally like God. Go to bed tonight thinking about that, if you could, if you could remember to do that. Just just dream about what it must be like to, to listen to what the great Augustine, or for that matter, what Einstein said about time and space being kind of warped into the same entity, and you start thinking about God and that God, not, not only he, he's every place, but he's every place all the time. There's no time with him. And it just kind of blows your mind. Time and space go into one entity and suddenly God is everywhere at all times. And that's the way God is going to make you. You are going to be spiritual beings on the other side, not physical beings and worried about all the things that frustrate us, but rather a spiritual being made in the very image of God. That's what God wants to do for you. Tell me that's not a perfect gift. Tell me that's not a perfect gift. The the wise man Solomon blew the whole thing there for a while. I mean, he was pretty sharp when he was young. But then somewhere in the middle there, it was wine, women and song. and He just made a complete idiot out of himself for a while. But I'm one of those people who believe that towards the very end is when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes and he finally got it right. And one of the things, including the ending the book by saying the whole thing is about God, doing what God says and focus on him. But one of the smart things he said is in Ecclesiastes, the fourth chapter, the third chapter, verse 11, when he says, 
that God has put eternity into man's heart. That God has placed eternity into our heart. Whether you know it or not, that's what you really, really, really want. That's all you've ever really wanted. Uh, it's some old show that just pops into my right, mind right now. Willie Lomax, Lomax or whatever his name was, The Death of a Salesman. He's, his wife is wondering, I think it was him who was involved in this, but at least two women on stage are talking back and forth and saying something to the effect of, of uh, why do men do those things? Why do they, why do they commit adultery and, 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 and do that kind of thing? And, and the, one of them who was probably wiser it says because they, they know they're dying. And I thought to myself, what? What a lame, what, what's, that, what's that about? But the more I've thought about it, the more I think that's exactly why they go out there and buy that awful looking rug and that little red sports car and all kinds of crazy things. They're afraid they're dying. They want eternity. God has placed eternity. The problem with the world that you and I are living in is not that the world, as C.S. Lewis would say, not that the world wants too much. They want this toy and that toy, this. It's not that they want too much. Their problem is they want too little. I don't want the things that the world gives when I'm at my, in, at my best, not best form, which usually means standing in front of the audience trying to, trying to speak the truth. <laughs> what I want when I'm at my best is God. And to be made like Him, to walk like God, talk like God, look like my Father. Be like my father. God says you can't take it. It's not some forbidden fruit that you can just grab. Don't let Satan sell it to you. It's a free gift. It's not by legalism where you do it on your own. It's by grace that God wants to grace you in this way. For by grace have you been saved through faith. And so God wants to give you a gift that's eternal. A gift that you can never lose. Talking about a battery that never runs down. Isn't that something? I mean... Forever and ever and ever made his image. So much so that it blows your mind that you read things like, like, uh, that though you not that the saints shall judge the earth in the old King James Version, don't you know that, that we are the ones who are going to judge? That instead of us being judged on that time, we do the judging. Can you imagine the kind of power that's going to be downloaded into us? The ability. I'm a little forgetful. Like, like, uh, Brother Bailey said once, uh, I don't remember forgetting anything. That would be Cecil Bailey. I'm, I've, I've maybe used that joke, but I, you folks who know me at all know I'm really forgetful. But on the other side, can you imagine being made in the image of God? It's seeing all things. You don't have to forget. Remember, it. you're just seeing it all at the same time. If I understand what scriptures are teaching about God and the fact that we're going to be like him. Tell me God does not know how to give a gift. I've, as I get older, I like systematic theology. The old preachers used to call it the unity. I don't like all systematic theology. Don't, don't get me wrong. There's some of that out there that's pretty bad. But when I use it from a conservative viewpoint, a Bible-believing viewpoint, what I mean by systematic theology is that we don't do doctrine in a box. We don't say this is the doctrine that we have about about the eldership and their family. And this is the doctrine that we have about families at home. And this is the doctrine that we have about the family of the church. But no, no, all of those are the same doctrine. When we start putting them all together, you find out that the Holy Spirit didn't mess up so bad that he contradicts himself all over the place. 
this is a systematic kind of thing. There's a, a unity of the whole thing that only the Holy Spirit Himself could ever, would ever be able to get all of that together just that way. And so, quite often, when I'm working on a sermon like James 1 verse 17, like I was for this one, all of a sudden it hits me, this is what the Spirit has been saying here and here and here and here. It's the same thing. It's the same old thing. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Because it's telling you way down deep in the heart of the Holy Spirit of God what He really, really, really wants. What He really wants to get across to you and get across to me. And so as we look at today's lesson, where God knows how to give, and it's perfect in every way. Not a bone is broken in that gift of Jesus. And it doesn't just give the one time, but it keeps on giving. Now that we're Christian, it keeps on giving. And, and as 1 John 1 verse 7 says, that the blood of Jesus continues to wash away our sins. Now that we're Christians, and let me remind you, that was written to people who had been Christians for decades. And he's saying, the blood is still washing away their sins. And then finally, the, the third point that it's consistent, that it's consistent with who God is and who you are, that God gives of himself what he really is and the, the being who calls himself I am, who's every place at the same time. There's no past, no future. He just is everywhere. And he wants to share that eternal aspect of himself with you. When we look at that, where we've already probably looking at it, on, on the sheet, but what I think of, I can't help but think of justification, sanctification, glorification. That's all it is. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to get saved just as if you've never sinned. That's justification is that point in time. It's talking about a past tense thing. Have you been saved? Have you, have you done what Paul was told to do when he was told to rise and be baptized and wash away your sins? Do you remember that day, what it was like to be pure and clean inside? But he wants you not to just be to be justified. He wants you to be sanctified. That is, saints, look at the word saint is in there. And we are saints. We're, we're not perfect, but we're made perfect through the blood of the Lamb. And that blood just keeps washing you as you are saints. And thirdly, God wants you to be just eternally glorified. The word glory is used sometimes. It's sometimes used. I got ahead of myself, didn't I? Is sometimes used with the idea of of uh, of being glorified here, but the vast majority of the times it's talking about being glorified on the other side when we will be in glory. In other words, you're saved, but not yet. Think about that. You're saved, but not yet. You're saved. You got saved. And you are saved if you're a child of God and you continue with God's people. You know, you, you were baptized in the Christ and you continue with God's people and the blood of Jesus continues to wash away your sins. But you're not saved yet totally until you're on the other side with Jesus forever and ever and ever. That's glory. This is what God wants for you. This is what God, if, if he could... Uh, like those old pictures and those Bibles that we used to have where Jesus is knocking at the door. He's been asking you. He's been seeking. He's been knocking and knocking and knocking. Because that's what He wants for you. To be made in His image. Some of you already saw the picture of Fred Penner here. You remember him? Any of you remember Fred Penner? I, I like this. We, we, I like this song. I'm going to wrap myself with paper. I'm going to dab myself with glue. Put some stamps on top of my head. I'm going to mail myself to you. 
You, you probably heard that a few times if you are, are my vintage, and maybe, I don't know, maybe he sings it some, even, even now. I don't know what Fred Painter is doing. But I love the song. That's what God wants. You want to know what God wants? Uh, the, the little, little drummer boy. He, he, he doesn't, he doesn't want, he doesn't want the, 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 the tune the drummer boy is going to play. You know what he wants? He wants the, the drummer boy. That's who he wants. He wants the whole kid. He wants all of you. He wants you to give your life to him so that when you put your life, you, when you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, that God can take your life and mold it and, and change it around so that it's a very splitting, or if you're from down south, a spitting image of Lord Jesus Christ. So you look just like him. You walk just like him. You know, somebody talks about being rich, and I've heard people say, you're rich as God. That's what God wants. He doesn't want you to be a millionaire, billionaire, zillionaire, whatever. I don't know. He wants you to be as rich as God, made in his perfect image. Now tell me, nobody knows how to give like that, except to give of ourselves so that God can give to us and bless us. Only God could love like that. Surely, you trust a God who would go that far just for the love of you.